what if like we all dropped in on hot air balloons, got off, did the show, and then left? I know. I feel like that's too much. Just I think it's a group. Away. It's stronger. Is that, I think you have to go at the same time. It's one. It's sort of a you know bringing it back to the all Beatles. I think you you all have to get in the hot air balloon at the same time in the basket and go up. You know, like like the like yellow submarine. You know, they all they all arrive in the basket and then they all leave in the basket as one. So I think that's mm-hmm, a more powerful mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. And we've yeah. got the air supply guys. So they'll they service could, it. They'll service the whole thing. I'm assuming the air supply guys now have a side business, a hot air yeah. balloon side yeah. business. Yeah, they supply I'm air. Assuming. That's exactly what you need. That's that's just <laughs> good business. And, you know, musicians helping each other out. I mean, I feel like we cracked the code here today. I, I kind of feel like we can't publish this podcast now because there's two... There's too many nuggets of when you gold say nuggets. that people could steal from us. All right. Nuggets. Gold <laughs> nuggets that we're... I that think we that's produce. your side Aerosmith project of, called Gold Nuggets. Isn't there a hotel? I don't know. Nugget? I'm not any... I don't know Vegas. anything about hotels, really. I just go... I just stay in them. I just go where people book them for me, and then I leave. You're listening to a conversation between Harrison Cannon, bassist for many, many bands... And Tamara Federici, producer of every band ever, already in progress. Happy one year birthday, podcast. I love ya. If you're just joining us, Harrison has kissed his double bass. That was me saying hello in jazz style. Oh my god, I didn't know you could say hello in jazz. Oh yeah! Oh, you can say all kinds of things in jazz. Like what? I actually jazz, didn't know that. Jazz is so expressive, you know. It's like, you know, I wanted to take all of our old records and and just do them all over again in jazz. Like Taylor Swift, but jazz. But yeah, like take the pop sensibility of Taylor Swift, mix it in with the Beatles, and then jazz it up. You know. <laughs> that sounds and great. You talk me out of it. I know. Well, I didn't think it was right at the time. I think it was also I was I was working with the Beatles and you guys at the same time. So it was sort of a quandary for me for a little bit. You know, I mean, there's two really different styles. Travel. Right. Because which album were you working with with the Beatles? Well, Um, that particular one was the White Album. But you guys was working on your first album. So just for folks who. Yeah. Just in case people don't know, it's your you had three albums. I worked on all of them. It was yeah, Russell Pages. <laughs> I work with a lot of. Notes. Don't be offended. I work with a lot of bands, and so I dates and times and and uh, you know specific albums in a specific row uh, are daunting to me because they kind of all switch around to me. But the you first know, one I, was yeah. I never get offended because because you know I just enjoy that you you show up and and I I kind of wish you had told me. At the time that, um, yeah, that you had just come from 1968, 69 Beatles session in Abbey Road to join us in uh, Chapel Hill at, uh, or no, it was actually in Raleigh at Jerry Key's studio. For our oh, first wow. Time. Yeah. I, you never met, you just didn't mention I didn't. that. that I, I just well, feel like that was oversight. I don't know. How would you have felt if I told you at the time? Would that have been a great thing to know or a bad thing to know? It would have been probably a little unbelievable. I probably would have not believed you. Maybe. I don't know. I guess it depends on how you would have told. Like, if you had taken me aside and said, look, I can, one, travel through time, and two, I have 
produced every single record ever made. And I would have been like, get out of here. I would have been like, get the fuck out of here. I know. I just kind of forgot about it to tell people, you know, I would just kind of was. Yeah, I was, you know, like when I'm working with you guys, I'm working with you and with your bands, I'm just focused on you and making a good album with the bands. So it doesn't really come up much because I just kind of compartmentalize, you know, you have to be, you have to be fully present at each one. So once you kind of hop, you're going to be present at that. So I will tell you the Beatles heard some of the early tracks for Feet in Mud. You know, I always felt like I always felt like Paul kind of ripped me off, but I was like, but that's that that's impossible because oh my God. he wrote that like 20 years earlier. But I kind of felt like there were some bass lines that I felt like, man, Paul's kind of kind of taking my stuff and, and really on the White Album. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, that's what's weird, so weird about music lawsuits these days is sort of like. <laughs> it's that exact thing, actually. So yeah. it's just there's not enough interpretation for the law for what I do <laughs> with them. So I just sort of like let it be, as they say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have so I many questions that. since last time I saw you. I thought we could actually, if you're working on something new, that maybe I could help you, uh, you know, I could help you with wherever you're at with it. I love your input always because you were the one that talked me out of doing all of Geezer Lake and funk bass style. You, 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 you talked me out of that. And I was like, but man, I got to slap it. I got to slap this bass. And you were like, Harrison, I, I just need to tell you. No. Thank you for saying that. I, you know, like you were in your early twenties. So that was your slapping it phase for sure. I for was, sure. <laughs> I was slapping it. As much as possible. And yeah, because I was 20 and, uh, you know, and you said you came up and you just grabbed, grabbed the bass and said, stop, stop it. Right. Yeah. Now. And I'm I, sorry and, and about that, that. No, no, no. I needed it. I needed that. It hurt at the time, but I really needed to hear that because uh, it, it, it changed the trajectory of all the records we made. Potentially, you would have been, you know, like a more pop oriented band that way. I feel like more accessible. But I also think you would have been selling yourselves out for yeah. the band that that was, which was like a crunchier. Grog, rock, ace, angular. Right. Uh, and it was elbows. Rock. Yeah. I think I want to talk about... Uh, Spent first, actually, because that one's a seven-minute song that reads like a nine-minute song. And I thought that was an interesting request for you guys to have. Uh, so when you're hearing it, yeah. you're actually it's actually slowing down time, and it feels longer, which is oh, does it does it mess with the space-time continuum? A little bit in a in a musical okay. way, but it is kind of an oddball thing to do. It, it's really against the grain, which feels right for Geezer Lake and also for like the '90s was very much like, you know, an attitude uh, of rebellion to be like, I'm going to, you know what, I know you want this shorter. I know it's fancy to cut things out and edit them and make them really radio ready. We're going to go the other way. We're, we're going to, you know, like we're going to play this in a live venue. We're going to stretch it out. You're not going to know how long you've spent listening to this song. You could have been here five minutes. You could have been here an hour. What is time? Yeah. And remember, you were the one that said you might want to put a warning on this song if somebody's listening to it in their car because it puts you in this 
hypnotic state and you might just drive right off a cliff or something you know like, yeah you came close to that i mean like song while driving right these are other college students this is this is the diabolical nest of college students making music for other college students it's sort of like reason is a whole different monkey in there and it was at the time where you know we didn't have we didn't know where we were going because we didn't have maps on our phone we just kind of drove and wherever we exactly. ended up, you didn't have maps or, or like smartphones or, or anything to like to dictate every minute of your life. So, yeah. So it was just you just went. You just were like, what is the music telling me to do? And it was like, well, I, I'll keep going straight. Oops. And that was just what needed to, you know, that's how things were. You know, the other thing I just I just remembered was I can tell you the, actually the first time that I saw you guys play and sort of like what that was like, because I didn't know you personally then, but it was a live show. It was at in Greensboro, and I have this distinct memory of being at the back of this venue, which was very long, like a shoebox, I'm going to say. So I was coming in the back of the shoebox, making my way up the back, and then coming, uh, you know, coming up to the middle kind of, and it was packed, and everybody was, there were all these sweaty people, and you guys were playing, and then there was just somebody just screaming on stage, and then that turned out to, out to be you. And it was just like screaming and horns. And and then somebody next to me was like, that guy is cute. And it was like, that was, and that was it. So it was like guys and girls, but it was really, oh. it was, that was, that was the vibe going into that thing was like screaming, horns, sweaty dudes. And then girls being like, that guy is cute. And like, that's such a collegiate experience, but also such a, um, I think so true to that band. <laughs> That? I'm assuming they were referring to Eric Shepard because he was super hot. And um, I'm thinking that was like the early Miracle House of Rock days or maybe even earlier. It could have been like basement show in Strong Dorm or something. No, it probably was. I think that was also one of them. For the second album, that was Hearts, Hearts Not... Hearts Won't Dry This. Hearts Won't... What is it? Hearts won't drown in this. Oh my god! Hearts won't drown. In this. Oh, that's what hearts won't drown it. in this. That's what you wanted us to call it. But Chris, Chris was like, "No, no, it's got to be hearts won't try this." Oh, you know, hearts won't drown in this. Felt it felt kind of like you know, I just I'd done the cure, and I was like, that worked for them. That kind of angst was really his bread and butter. Yeah. So I was like, hearts won't yeah. drown in this. Yeah, we we weren't going to that gothy. Right, you weren't so we were gothy, like, yeah. Heart won't try this, like. But I, but thinking about, it, thinking back on it now, hearts won't drown in this. Would have been, it would have been really good too, but maybe a little too curry. Yeah, but hearts won't try this. Would was um, that when you guys were like, we want a basement in a college house where everything is like, where the only decoration are mannequins in the basement, and you were like, we want that specific sound. And how do we get it? That's the sound we yeah. were trying to find. And it's one no, lonely skinny it. guy dancing in the corner and everybody else going nuts. And then just mannequins place. Yeah. yeah. And the mannequin was Betty. Oh, yeah. See? Fact, remember, our first cassette was called Where's Betty? Because somebody stole that mannequin. Again, I think you're too... I mean, I think, I think you couldn't have gotten that sound more right on. Thank you. Well, with your help. I'm glad that we got it there. Was, yeah. It was the, it was, you brought in that mannequin and said, you remember Betty? And then you threw it on the ground and then you poured 
you kept pouring like lighter fluid or gasoline or something, something flammable, and then you just lit it on fire. And then you said, now get your fucking ass in there and record this album. Yeah. And I was like, damn, okay. Yep. I, that put me in the right spot. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do different <laughs> methods for different bands. And, you know, like you have to, you have to kind of bypass a fire code. I mean, that's always been my rule. You got to just put this, put that to the side. If it doesn't, if the fire code doesn't serve you, if it make some fire. Serve, but it was, it did feel dangerous too. Yeah. It was, it and, was and actually did, very dangerous. It was insanely dangerous now that I think back on it. Right. Cause it was right next to some Everclear, which, you know, that is highly flammable. We got lucky. Yes. Grain alcohol will go up like that. But you know what sounds great yes. on a mic? We Fire. Whoa, that was deep. My life makes sense to me now. Harrison Cannon is a New York bassist and musician for Giza Lake, M. Shanghai String Band, and Barnaby. Tamara Federici once mailed Barry Gibb a letter which said inadequate. Gibb cried. Every band ever is, Will Velasquez as editor and producer, Clark Jackson as audio engineer, Will Briley as publicity, Mary Lear as coordinator, Jonah Katz as social media, and artwork by Simon Morris Winheld. Visit our link tree at Every Band Ever on Instagram.